Welcome back to Wake Up Winden, a podcast covering the Beforeners right now. And you know what? I think I'm going to have to get my cards for this one. Because it was a doozy of an episode where we followed Jack the Ripper in real time. Or this guy who traveled back in time to become Jack the Ripper, John Roberts. I'm your host, Brian Hickey. Welcome back. Really fun, really fun show. A lot, a lot of balls up in the air for these last two episodes. I'm excited to see where everything ends up. I have no idea where they're going with this. But it does seem like maybe there will be some time travel, hopefully. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. We want that, right? I think so. I think I want that. Anyway, let's let's start with the beginning of the show. And uh, we get the scream. Kind of the first thing we see on the scream is a painting by Edward Munch. And uh, it is a Norwegian painting. It is, uh, there's about four versions of it I saw when I was doing some research. And uh, one is hanging in the Munch Museum in Norway. And the other one is in the National Gallery in Oslo. Not sure where the other two are. But really creepy painting. I actually minored in art history uh, after liking the first class I took so much. Because this one professor was an amazing orator. But I've got to admit... Uh, a lot of it has just gone out my head. <laughs> and But I definitely remember, uh, this was in like the general Western class we learned about this one. I think it was, you know, it was the thir- third version of this class because it uh, is painted, you know, in the time period that they would have been covering that. But it's really creepy, right? Really c- creepy painting. And the place where Jack the Ripper ends up at the end of the episode apparently is where the original painting was painted. So that was really cool. You see he becomes the painting and like they do like a kind of cool graphic where like the colors kind of meld and it kind of looks like the painting at the end. thought that was really spooky, really, uh, really cool, really uh, inspired to use the scream in this. Uh, the quote they use is uh, actually from Munch uh, and do have it here if you'll allow me to read it. I think it comes up. I think it uh, is pretty important. All right, so this is when, at the beginning of the episode, we've got Jack the Ripper, and he's on a tour, and he is looking at the Scream painting, and he's listening to the audio narration in English. Find out he's an Englishman himself. Um, And he is uh, listening, and we hear this quote, and it is from Munch. And he's later describing his inspiration, and this is when Munch is describing his inspiration for the painting. He said, I was walking along the road with two friends. The sun was setting. Suddenly the sky turned blood red. I paused, feeling exhausted, and leaned on the fence. There was blood and tongues of fire above the blue-black ford and the city. My friends walked on, and I stood there trembling with anxiety. And I sensed an infinite scream passing through nature. So that's what he reads. That's an actual quote from Munch. I was always always wondering, like, is the scream something that he heard? Like, every time I see this painting, I just assume, like, the person who's in the forefront of the painting is screaming. But is he hearing a scream, or is the scream coming from him? I'm not entirely sure on that. Again, I'm only minored in art history. It wasn't quite uh, good enough for the major. But I thought that that was uh, interesting that they had that quote in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously the show wants to draw our attention to it. We have it at the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode. If any listener has uh, knows more than I do about the, this painting, please let me know. 
love to hear some theories about either what the what what it means to you in the show or uh or if you just have general knowledge about the painting too that's awesome and i'd love to hear it john roberts uh, he gets interrupted because he needs to take a photo of a couple tourists it turns out that he is on a tour uh which is which is funny right he's on a he's on a tour they're asking if he's going to go to the ski lift with them and uh he says no he has some errands to run uh and uh the daughter will come back a little bit later on in the episode but we found out that the errands to run uh include you know stealing cotton candy from a small child and also murdering a soothsayer i i I wasn't. I've, I've heard soothsayer before, but I ha- haven't heard it uh, referred a psychic referred to a soothsayer in a long time. But uh, I'll go back and forth uh, throughout the show uh, when we're talking about this character. Um, sadly, he goes to the trailer that the psychic lives in, the soothsayer, and we find out he's there because he's trying to get to Emma, one of the uh, time immigrants that he's been following. Maybe that he followed through time. Uh, maybe she was trying to escape him from that time period and now only to find him following her later but she, uh, the soothsayer knows this woman named emma and he wants to get in touch with her uh the psych the soothsayer says that she's going to need her cards for this one once he like makes his introduction and he's being creepy as i'll get out and she goes to the other room he follows her and she manages to make the call but he's like are you warning somebody and he ends up killing her uh, so really, really speaking, that's like the first scene of the episode. And we find out later that he uses the, f- he steals her phone and he, you know, it's kind of like the first clue we see that he might not be from the past because he is really, um, adept with a computer. He's doing like all sorts of coding or programming, I think in an, in an effort to unlock the phone so he could catfish Emma, if I'm not mistaken, I'm not sure what else he was doing there. But he gets into her phone and he's able to set up a meeting with Emma because, again, she sees it's from the psychic's phone. So she needs to meet with her. Maybe she is, uh, they're working together, maybe some sort of safe house, I'm not sure. But they're, she sets up a meeting thinking it's the soothsayer. And, of course, it's, it's not. It's Jack the Ripper. Now, in between, so after he does this and he sets up the meeting, he decides to go down to the bar and he's having a drink, maybe a whiskey, and he's reading The Trouble with Being Born, which uh, I don't know a lot about, I don't know anything about the book, except that the, the title is pretty spot on for uh, Jack the Ripper and for the show. It's really it's really a messed up title, it's really sad. Uh, but uh, he's reading that, and uh, the tourist uh, who he was taking a photo of earlier, she has the eyes for him, and she's coming up to him, and she says that she'll have what he's having, and he is like very blunt with her when he she asks like what he's doing. He originally says that he was a quantum physicist, which now kind of makes sense, right? He maybe was working on time travel and he was able to figure it out. Uh, but now that bored him, and he's much more interested in the female anatomy. And I was just like, Ugh, gross. Uh, but apparently it works. Uh, he goes, he's uh, ends up in the hotel room with her, and. Uh, he doesn't kill her, I, I, I guess. Uh, I don't think, I don't think that happened. I was pretty shocked that we didn't see her dead. Maybe, maybe it'll come up in the, in the next episode, but yeah, that 
probably tracks, right? But uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to see uh, what happens with uh, the poor poor woman that he uh, ends up sleeping with in this episode. But anyway, he sets up the rendezvous with Emma. He already had done that, but he goes to meet with her. It's like at like a bench by, you know, like the woods kind of and like a hill that, you know, we'll see him run up eventually. But uh, the cops are on, and I'll get to the cop storyline in a second, but the cops are like just seconds behind. And he manages to, like, come up behind her, and it's really, really frightening. He he gets her, and he's dragging her off, and she's trying to fight. And we end up seeing him... We will end up seeing the body first, but we end up seeing him going, and he's panting. And you kind of think, like, this isn't Jack the Ripper's, like, usual M.O. Like, usually he's uh, doing even more gruesome stuff than just slitting her throat, sadly. But... It looks like he just like needed to to like kill her uh and so he could start running again and really messed up for for emma i think there's at least one before and her left i think i'm starting to get like the reports there's three before and her before and her women in that report that dr and had the maybe one of them died in the tunnel one of them's dead here maybe there's still one out there i kind of think that's what's happening now help me out if if anybody knows now he's after, uh, so now Jack the Ripper, he's, I mean, the cops are kind of close to him, right? Will he be caught in the beginning of the next episode? Will he evade capture? We'll have to see what happens, but that's pretty much the Ripper storyline in this episode. Uh, really spooky. The actor who plays him is a really creepy guy. I mean, he's doing a great job because he is so creepy. Uh, let me shout him out really quick. All right, Paul Kay is the actor's name who plays John Roberts, and he does a really good job. He's really creepy. Like, when he steals that kid's cotton candy, so messed up, right? And it's so sinister, too, so sinister. So uh, the kid's like, oh, why'd you do that? Uh, Could have been worse, kid. Could have been worse. I wonder if he's having fun on that ski trip or on the tour. I wonder if, like, I wonder where else they've gone if, like, <laughs> he saw this trip and like it ended up in Denmark, but like he got to enjoy some of the sights uh, along the way. I don't know. He's a, definitely a creepy guy. So let's back up to what's been going on with the police investigation. So they're really putting poor Miss Winters to the fire here. Uh, they are scapegoating the shit out of her. They are uh, mad at her. Uh, the police and the newspaper are having like a joint press conference and. Uh, they want Miss Winters to retract what she said about Jack the Ripper, and she's very apologetic. But it's uh, it's really messed up. I mean, this poor woman got sent a body part in the mail. Uh, she still hasn't recovered from that, as one wouldn't. And uh, yeah, what that what the what the hell, police? This is a bad this is a bad look. Uh, but they just like everybody wants to like quell this Jack the Ripper. So I'm like, nobody, shut, everybody, shut up, shut 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 up about Jack the Ripper. Um, but, like, you know, in a world where this uh, people pop up from the past uh, every day, you know, in the 500s in England every day, is it that crazy that Jack the Ripper would be here? Really? I mean, really? It's a, it's plausible. Why isn't anybody buying this from Lars? Like, uh, like they're not trying to hide the beforeners coming into town. Like, they know it's a possibility. I don't know. I don't know. I think... Uh, I... I... <laughs> I, I think the Norwegian police are fearing a PR, PR backlash, I know that, but uh, 
the British police, they are, they're up to something. Why are they hiding? Are they in on it, the Thripper? Like, what the hell? Why are they, why are they trying to shut this up? Uh, it could be, I guess, a national stain, right? Jack, that you want, <laughs> boy, don't want Jack the Ripper getting out of your country, right? That would be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, shit. All right, yeah, it's like, it's going to start a national incident, international incident. So they, the, the cops think that they have case closed because they found uh, Ben Joseph, right? They think, all right, this guy did it. We found him. Let's wrap it up, deport him, send him back to England. We're good here, Johnny. Uh, but Lars and Elfielder have unfinished business with him. So they have this unsanctioned visit after Lars kind of argues with the, both the chief of police and Harold, and they, uh, uh, end up going to see him anyway. They disregard the chief's orders and they have a very short meeting with, uh, Ben Joseph. They learn that, uh, basically they learn that John Roberts is from the present, right? And... We know of two or three people, now three people, I guess, that can go backwards and forwards in time, El Fielder, Madeline, and this guy, John Roberts. So, I mean, in El Fielder's case, it seems to have unlocked some superpowers. Same could probably be said for John Roberts, I'm guessing. Yeah, what's, uh, what, what's the deal? What's the deal with time travel? It's the key to everything, right? Like, there, it's, uh, it's the key to, like, what... Olaf is trying to accomplish it's the key to you know Jack the Ripper traveling back and forth uh boy embarrassing look for the future or for the present too boy the past would be pissed sending Jack the Ripper from the future that sucks <laughs> anyways this uh unsanctioned visit uh while it does give them some clues it also gets them taken off the case the chief of police is not thrilled even Harold has a look of look of sadness on his face uh, even though if he can't really be too mean to Lars. But they end up putting him, them, Alfielder and Lars, on a different case. They put her, coincidentally, on the case of the Soothsayer. But they do not know that this is related to Jack the Ripper, so they are, like, very dismissive. This poor bald gentleman who's the, uh, the, other, the other cop that's on the case here. I don't quite get a name for him. But he's, like, trying to give them the rundown of the case, and, like, they're both, like, could not be more, uh, could not be more bored. <laughs> And uh, he finally is like, you know what? All right, let's pick this up tomorrow. So Alfielder and Lars, uh, they both have different types of knights. Uh, let's go to Lars first. Lars, uh, he he has a wild knight. Uh, let me let me save his storyline. Let's let's finish up the cops. But he has a wild knight, and both Alfielder and Lars come into work with like a much better attitude. Uh, you'd think after the night Lars had, he'd be, uh, pretty, like, hungover, or at least, like, you just, like, nod his head into it, but he comes back and he apologizes, and he says they're gonna get to the bottom of this case. So, in the, uh, you know, the research and what they're trying to do, they're trying to follow a few leads, a couple things happen really quickly, both Lars and Elfielder, they split up with the bald guy, Lars and Elfielder, they go to the phone, uh, the phone place, where they're trying to figure out uh emma roberts or em, emma roberts but they try to find out emma's location uh and or they try to find out more information about the phone call it eventually leads them to being one step behind jack the ripper uh in addition to this uh the bald guy he is getting i'm sorry i'm calling him that uh and uh he gets called over to uh, the carnival, where you, we know Jack the Ripper was, 
and he is gonna find the body of the soothsayer, and it's really sad. She's in the dumpster, and it's kind of kind of hard to like. It seems like they had eyes on both Jack Jack the Ripper and Emma as you know they were closing in on him. I know like Elfielder and Lars were driving over. But it seems like somebody had, I don't know if it was like aerial vision that they had him, but for whatever reason, they miss, uh, they miss him capturing Emma, and they end up just a few steps behind him, and we're going to have to see what ends up happening in the next episode with this. Will they be able to catch him? Uh, Lars in another dangerous situation. Uh, he has a lot going on in his familial life as well. I think we'll bounce over to that. Is we have uh, the subplots with what's going on with Lars and Elfielder. Elfielder, you know, she's got her brain scan going on. But Lars has Ingrid he's worrying about. And Ingrid, of course, is daughter. Uh, at the beginning of the episode, we see that he puts an emergency alert on her phone. Uh, one is, like, kind of like a soft emergency send. The other is like, hey, I need your help right now. And she ends up using it later on in the episode where, like, the dead hair gets put in her drawer... Uh, from the the weatherman, we find out he's a weatherman. I thought he was a stuntman last episode, but got a name for him now. Sterla, Sterla the weatherman, piece of shit, and he is <laughs> he is uh, terrible. He's just terrible, and he is uh, gonna. He's friends with Olaf, we know, and while Ingrid's out of the house, like visiting Olaf's mansion, he puts this dead hair, or at some point, he puts it in their drawer. This leads Ingrid to set off the alert signal, and Lars comes uh, to her house. She shows him what happened. He takes it in for evidence, but Lars is pissed, right? As he should be. And him and Elfielder, they, uh, I guess Elfielder maybe knows Sterla. Like, it seems like it's the same fight club that she she works at, she works out at. So she ends up uh, taking Lars over there. Probably a bad idea. And Lars has a conversation with Sterla, and he's like kind of sucking up at first. He's being cordial, and he's like kind of like brushing it off as like it's probably a miscommunication. And as Lars is leaving, he says something in Norse, right? And Lars is like, Elfielder, what'd this guy say? And Elfielder's like, eh, you, you don't want to know. Let's get out of here. And he's like, No, I want to know. And he's, she's like, uh, something like, uh, you're the father of the whore. Okay, let's go. You're the father of the whore. <laughs> and Elfielder's, like, trying to rush him out, and Lars is like, nah, I cannot stand for this. So he, Lars grabs the weight, like a, like a 45-pound weight, maybe not that big, maybe like a 25 or a 35-pound weight, and he smacks the shit out of this guy. He smacks him really hard, and they get the hell out of there, right? They run away, and, uh, <laughs> He's, uh, he's actually, he gave him a concussion and, uh, could have been worse, right? I mean, like, geez, a blow like that might've, might've killed somebody. But, uh, we know that this angers Sterla and his friends. Now we have two different Norse people that are trying to get revenge later, right? And, uh, the third one joins them and he's, uh, he's the one that actually witnessed what happened, which is crucial because he has some trouble with the seatbelt. Uh, he says seatbelts are for sissies, and the Norse guy goes, I'll tell you what's for sissies, paying thousand uh, kroner uh, fines. So he, like they strap him in, and it uh, flummoxes this guy. He can't get out of the car. 
when they eventually pull up to Gregor's and Marie's house. And though, no, you can see where this is going, right? Lars, they think it's, uh, they think that Gregor's is Lars. And poor Gregor's, he's smoking a pipe, gardening, having, living his best life. And he sees these men come up and he's like, oh boy. So he asks, like, uh, in a very funny way, he's like, I can't remember what he said, but it was awesome. He's like, he's like, how can I help you, basically? And they uh, want to, you know, start to fight him, right? Uh, they have, like, the bars. And I love how uh, Gregor squares up in, like, an old-timey way. Like, put him there, see? He looks like the uh, Notre Dame mascot, kind of, like uh, the logo. If you'd, like, see the leprechaun, like, squaring up with his, like, two fists out. Oh, it's great. And uh, he actually gets in, like, a nice nice hit with him, with his, like, I think he, there's, like, cigars, pipe, I don't know, he gets him with, he gets him in the eyes uh, with Ash, but, you know, the two guys are too much, especially with the weapons that they have. And they really pummel him, too. And it's only when the guy uh, that actually witnessed what happened, he gets out, and he comes to the scene, and he's like, uh, ooh, boy, uh, this is the wrong guy. And they're like, how could you be sure? And he's like, because... Uh, the other guy was contemporary. So they kind of just like, go like uh, they don't even really say sorry, but they just kind of leave him there. But Gregor's heard all this, right? So, you know, Gregor's, I've been up and down with Gregor's throughout. Uh, you feel so bad for what happened with him here. And, you know, we cut to the hospital scene because eventually Lars gets a call and he has to go see what's going on. And Marie says, you know, he wants to talk to you. And you're like, oh shit, Gregor's going to read him the riot act. Uh, and then Lars lies to him. <laughs> Lars, a fucking liar. <laughs> and he lies to him, man. He lies straight up to me. He's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what this is about. And Gregor's is like, look, you need to level with me here. And he like tells him, he's like, I heard them arguing. I know that they said they think I was you. And Lars is like, all right, you got me. And Gregor's is really cool, right? He's really understanding here. And he's going to keep it between them. Uh, at least for a little while. Even though, like, yeah, Marie would be so pissed at Lars if she found out about this. But, uh, you know, they share they share a good moment together. And Gregor's is like, has an extremely good attitude about this. He's like, he's like, ah, it's just a few scratches. Even though he's got, like, a big, like, uh, his eye. He's got a black eye and probably, like, a, you know, bruised spleen. Something, something. So he, got, he got really hit hard with those crowbars. Uh, but he handles it extremely well. And uh, him and Lars share a nice moment. So a lot of this is coming to a head, right? Um, you know, with Lars's attack, kind of a line has been drawn in the sand. And if Lars is... Uh, if I, I, We're, like, setting up a showdown between Lars's men... <laughs> Lars's men. We're setting up a showdown between Lars and Sterla. And you know that Sterla has a lot of friends we know that's another way that king olaf storyline is going to get into the mix which i'm going to close with and you know something's going to be happening here like the them beating up gregor's isn't going to be the end of it the revenge wasn't served so lars needs to kind of sleep with one eye open it seems like uh you know can they make an arrest i don't know i don't know let's see what happens here in the final two episodes with this with this plot so a couple things to wrap up here we've got el fielder and she goes to get the results of her brain scan. And the guy that um, the guy who works there, 
he is sharing the results with her. He's like telling her about the hippocampus. Hippocampus? Oh boy. I'm going to be really showing, showing, have my face red. Uh, anyway, he tells her what the hippocampus does. He says that, you know, she has an extremely high level on her hippocampus and that uh, people who have that TSD disease, that sleeping disorder disease, uh, they have low activity in their hippocampus. Whereas you look at Elfielders and it's off the charts. And we see that this does some certain things later on in the episode, right? I guess like she's just now noticing it. I don't know if like the powers just like now come into focus. Maybe, maybe it takes a couple years to brew after you time travel. But uh, that would explain too why Madeline doesn't have any powers to seem seem seemingly. But maybe she'll develop powers. I don't know. Um, we also know that Alfielder is there a little bit longer. Presumably Jack the Ripper a little bit longer because Madeline's about the same age, even though she learned Norse and her teeth rotted. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, but anyway, the man who uh, has the results, he wants to like kind of go go like publish these results. Like these are extraordinary. Uh, they could learn a lot about her, and they could learn a lot about what happens with time migration. But she declines, and since she's a police officer, she's very savvy, and she knows what's going on uh, uh, in the justice system. And what her rights are, so she says that you know the obmansman. I don't know how to say that word. I only see it, see it <laughs> see it written, but she says that she'll get an obmansman uh, on it. I, people are probably wondering what the hell I'm trying to say, uh, but you know, like the person who keeps everything fair. Um, and he has to like relinquish the results to her, and he's not going to be able to share it with anybody. So Elfielder has these results, and like later on, she's like sitting watching construction happen by her house. Uh, and she's not moving anywhere, right? But she's, like, eating the egg. I was wondering if it's the egg from the Continental Breakfast. Uh, she, like, drops it on the ground, and, like, there's a fly buzzing around it. And, like, Elfielder can detect every minute beat of the wing of the fly, which I've got to say, this power would be super annoying unless you could, like, turn it off and on because, boy, you just, like, hear everything. You'd be, like, looking this way and that way. Like, like look like my cat when they see a bird, like, chittering all the time. <laughs> Um, anyway, so we see that happens, right? And then in a moment of bonding, where Wenke, Wenke is having a little turnaround here, sort of-ish. Uh, I don't know, she's still kind of sucks. But she, they, Wenke takes Elfielder's shooting, and, like, Wenke is like, you know, and I'm on, like, the Norwegian national team, I'm, like, really good, really good marksman, and, markswoman, and Elfielder, unbeknownst to her, she hits the target every single time, and it's, like, the exact same shot every single time, which would be, like, impossible, right? And she shoots it through the hole every single time, the same hole. But it just looks like she hit one shot. So Wenke thinks she has her beat. She's like, ha, you owe me the pint. And uh, Elfielder doesn't know that she did that, I guess. I guess she's kind of unaware of that, even though, like, you know, you have the superpower and, like, you're, like, honed in. And she's like, man, I thought I was laser-focused on that. But... Anyway, she's not thinking about it right now. Okay, so Alfielder, her and John the John John the Ripper, John Roberts, he uh, they they might have similar powers. So because they both traveled backwards and forwards, and then Madeline too, but we don't we don't really know. We haven't seen we haven't seen much of her. Her days her she's on notice uh, from the Volva. Uh, we could bounce over to that storyline here in a second. Uh, but yeah, Fielder, she's gonna be really important, you know. 
As we see, she is the key to bringing Olaf back to power. Researchers want to uh, look at her brain. <laughs> she's, she's investigating the case. Like, it's all circling around Alfielder. And Olaf. Let's go the Olaf of it all in this episode. Nor no Torhund in this episode, I don't think. But Olaf, he is uh, going to get a call from the Volva. And the Volva has already gone over to Madeline's house. And even though Madeline dismisses her as an Olaf stalker, uh, she is kind of just like putting her on notice, right? She puts Madeline, she tells Madeline that like she can set up a meeting with King Olaf whenever she feels like it. And she uh, ends up later calling Olaf and she gets him to come over. And she has the magic dust, uh, the, the diamond dust, uh, looked to me like cocaine. I'm not entirely sure what else it was. I don't know. I don't know if, like, cocaine makes you have visions, though. So, uh, I don't know what it was. <laughs> but some sort of drug that King Olaf really likes, and he's going to get a bag of it at the end of the episode. It's like, he's like Dewey Cox. He's like, I really like some of this cocaine. <laughs> uh, but, anyway, he... Uh, they have this this cool vision scene, right? And it reminds me of like the brand flash forward in uh, from Game of Thrones, where like you see a lot of quick visions. You know, first she like cuts cuts his hand open. That's let's you know, par for the course with the vulva. And uh, he's already done the the drugs. Uh, he's already snorted them, and he's laying backwards and he has this vision. And this is a trip, right? We get a lot of quick flashes. Uh, I slowed down and I paused it every so often to write down what was happening. So allow me to get that uh, to that part of my notes. So we first see the Burning Cross, right? We know what that is. That's from when he was on the battlefields and uh, he's falling down. Uh, actually, you know, is that the Tor, Tor Hunt had the, saw the Burning Cross uh, early on in the show? Or maybe we just saw him carrying the cross. He is Christian. And now I'm getting all mixed up. Jeez, Brian, it was the first vision the first vision, okay, anyway, there's a cross, okay, we know he's uh, the king of Christianity in Norway, uh, we see the baby, obviously that would be baby Magnus, or could it be a future baby, maybe with the vulva, maybe with Alfielder, or looking less and less likely like it'll be Madeline, but we see the baby, the priest, it looks like maybe a baptism is happening here, um, and then we get like a shot of Olaf on the ground, was he dead? Uh, that was a little bit jarring. Maybe that was from the battlefield, though. Uh, we get the sword, and I think Madeline. He's like, he has the sword, and then Madeline. Uh, we have Olaf in battle. We get back to the baptism. I think we get, like, his uh, flash into water. Like, we get a like scene of water, which, like, to me signified the transition to uh, this time period. Uh, we see, okay, I don't know what's going on here. We see some sort of soldier in this one. Uh, and the soldier has a gun, I do believe, and he is, uh, looking ominous. Uh, don't know what that's about. And then the last scene, I can only describe it as, like, uh, King Olaf with a choir. <laughs> and, uh, that's, like, kind of the last vision we get, but, like, I don't know, like, King Olaf, like, looks like he's, like, Natasha Bedingfield in, uh, the unwritten music video with, like, the choir behind him, <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know if anyone get, will get that reference, but, uh, the, after this vision happens, that's the last one, right, and, like, to be fair, he isn't, like, a church, like, could this be a coronation of sorts, maybe so, 
I think he's going to be a choir director in his future. I think that's what the vision said. No, but um, she's like, did you see it? And he's like, clear as day. I think I'll be the king. And I'm like, that's not what I took. That's not what I took from uh, that vision. But yeah, so that was that was really cool. That was, uh, I really like uh, everything we got. I don't know the significance. The one that like kind of throws me off the most is the soldier uh, looking guy. And... Is King Olaf gonna do it? Oh my God! Is this guy gonna take power? Is this really gonna happen? Is he gonna is he gonna end up being the the king again of Norway? Could he like? Does he want like to take power back in his time period? Maybe and time travel back? I don't know. Maybe that could that could be something. But I think he, it seems like he wants power in this modern time period. So I don't know. That's that's so wild. That whole that whole sequence. Uh, really looking forward to what uh, the tracks that I want to see what happens because. Uh, the tracks they laid in this episode are pretty cool. And we only got two left. And, you know, could it be a series wrap? Not entirely sure here. Um, so, yeah, damn, that was cool. That was a good episode. Um, um, yeah, I did. I speculated in the last episode, too, more about Olaf. Uh, about, like, okay, so, like, why are we seeing the storyline, right? And I, like, we're obviously, like, getting more and more of it. It's looking more like he's going to take over. Uh, he's going to be the king, the king someday, according to this vision. I do know that visions can go awry, but he also like uh, by getting the by winning the subpoena last week, and I guess we got the answer. Like the DNA did not lie. Uh, he gets this really sick mansion that the church bought for him that they get to live in. Uh, so like that's what like the place that Ingrid goes to check out later on with Madeline, where the Olaf stalker, the Volva, comes in. But yeah, I thought. Uh, I, I mean, I guess, I mean, that's reason enough to get your name back, right? Like, he's, uh, he's, like, got a position of power, like, people will listen to him now. So, that was really, that was really fascinating. Uh, shout out to a lot of these actors, too. Some of, they're so, they're so good. Uh, they're so good on the show. Of course, I've talked about uh, Krista Kosanen and Nikolai Cleve Brosh, who are Al Fielder and Lars, respectively. They're, of course, the heartbeats of the show. They're really awesome. Um, but I really do like the guy who plays Olaf, uh, King Olaf as well, Tobias Santelman. And then the Volva is just, uh, she's, uh, she's, she's gripping when she's on screen. She's, you don't know what she's going to do. She's like wild card. Um, she's played by Hedda Stiernstedt. And then I, I, I should on Wanke, Wanke a lot, but, uh, it's really, it's just, it's all in good fun. Wanke's, uh, Wanke's kind of making the, she's turning around and shout out to Ragheels Goodbranson, who plays 1K. Uh, I hope she's a good sport. Uh, she's she is fun, uh, even though she she was a bit much in season one, but she's kind of coming around in season two. We did, we didn't get much of Alex in this episode. He was kind of hanging out in the police episode. Nader Kademi plays him, but he is uh, you know the one who's working with the British police. Uh, the bald guy who was working with him in the last episode, he did mention that. Uh, Alex, you know, dismissed this evidence, uh, so maybe Lars will put a bow in, uh, just, like, remember that, and he can come back to that later on. We'll see. Apparently in that soldier scene, that's the Oslo Plaza in the background, so read into that what you will, but, uh, I, I learned that on Reddit, so, you know, could be, could be wrong, too, but, uh, that'd be, you know, could be, like, the stage set for a coup, where King Olaf takes power could be interesting and then i think elfielder's last name which we hear king olaf refer to um is it, it, in english it means motherless i believe but i'm also seeing on reddit that 
it may have been fatherless, like translated to fatherless in a previous episode. Not sure about all that. If anybody speaks Norwegian and wants to help out with the translation of Alfielder's last name, but something something could be there. Uh, you know what? Scratch everything I just said. Uh, Ingid's daughter means no one's daughter. So, yep. Hey, boy. Hey, put those put those keyboard put put those fingers away. Somebody on Reddit has a theory that temproxate might be what enables backwards time traveling. Uh, that's I the magician user I the magician on Reddit. Shout out to you. Uh, he says we know that Mad used it before she traveled, and could the drink be used by the 1800s? Man attempted to tra- travel back. Uh, could it be something like temproxate? That's interesting. Because, okay, so let's go back to that. So when Madeline was, uh, you know, they were like, I think prepping for the bend over. I'm not sure. It was part of the whole bend over experience. Uh, Ben Dover. Ben, gentleman Ben Dover. Okay, now, um, it was that whole scene, right? And uh, they're having some fun, right? Before she jumps in the water. And they're they're trying to like fake the stunt, but it ends up like happening. Maybe it's like some combination of temproxide and the right time, right place gets you to travel back. I kind of just thought the guy was like getting stoned because it was like a nightmarish experience. I think I spoke about how it could be painful, but maybe it's like, maybe temproxide is just crucial to that. Could you smoke temproxide? Because we do see Lars, he uses it in this episode. Uh, thank God we didn't see Odin. I was, I was sick of Odin, but he does get uh, back on the temproxide. Uh but like he clears his mind. He's like uh, got a much better attitude at work the next day. Okay, so one more comment I want to lead with because maybe uh, Sterla, maybe he wasn't lying about the miscommunication. Although he did say that mean thing about uh, about uh, Elfiel, about uh, Ingrid and Lars. So here, let me just read this too because um, <laughs> uh, Reddit user Cheap Cake Ripper. Uh, wrote that the Vikings associated hairs with the moon as well as their fertility goddess Freya. In addition, the Norse goddess of domesticity, Holda, was sometimes depicted as riding a chariot pulled by hairs. So could it be that Sturla was not threatening her at all with that leg paw? I also think that there's a conception of hair's paw as bringing luck, so that creepy gift could have been misunderstood. Interesting. Um, hmm... I'm going to say no just because of the comment that Sterla made to Lars. But that does give me something to something to think about here. Like a lucky rabbit's paw. I don't really feel too bad for Sterla if I'm being honest. If it was uh, misconstrued, this is uh this wasn't very nice. He wasn't very nice. He already threatened her. All right, everybody. I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh really fun one. Really enjoyed breaking this one down. Uh, Thanks so much, everybody, for listening. And I hope you have a great day out there. If you want to follow the show, Wake Up Winden on Twitter. WakeUpWinden at gmail.com is how you can get in touch with me. You can also find me, Real Brian Hickey, on Twitter. That's Brian with a Y. All right, everybody. I hope you guys have a great week. Take it easy. Bye-bye.